0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We're gonna finish a thought from this morning. If you weren't here this morning, it'll be okay. That that song is really timely, and it's a song I've been listening to on repeat for a number of weeks now, and what we're going to kind of talk about tonight relates to that line that says, and when he moves, the bowels of hell begin to shake. There's something I really believe that's on the heart of God, and it has to do with calling us up and out to actually walk on the spiritual offensive in our life. That for far too long and way too many of us, we've taken a defensive posture in our faith and we're getting our teeth kicked in. We don't walk in our own strength or in our own might. We don't walk in our own confidence. We don't bring anything to the equation really. It's Jesus that does, and it's His name that does. But I'm going to read something to you, and we, um, after I read it, Ben can have a break from playing keys for the same chord progression for 19 minutes straight. So (laughs) Um, it's from the book of Matthew. And this is kind of going to be our jumping off point for a few thoughts tonight. We've been studying the book of Ephesians as a church, if if you're just joining with us tonight, and the book of Ephesians is really a book about cosmic supernatural warfare. And um, there's a lot that God wants to say to us about that, but tonight I want to read to you from uh, Matthew, and specifically... Just find it here, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Many of you probably know this story, but uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's going to be really important, just kind of lock that in the back of your mind. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Let me just pray real quick. Holy Spirit, as we just open the word for just a minute, we just wanna humble ourselves before you and just declare our need for you to teach us your word. We surrender our mind to you and our intellect to you. We surrender our understanding to you and we ask that you would speak to us tonight, that you would reveal the heart and nature and character of God to us, that you would um, bring revelation here. In the name of Jesus, revelation that brings life and freedom. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. All right, so I just want to continue here um, from this morning. And we're really gonna kind of dive into some practical things tonight. But I wanted to start with this passage, and many of you have probably um, read those verses and are aware of that passage. And I want to just draw something to your attention that I have been learning and and, uh, a piece of the the puzzle that you may not understand or may not know and it's something new for me that I was um, just learning a couple months ago. And specifically it relates to um, the geography of where Jesus specifically is with his disciples when he has this encounter uh, with Peter. There's something that's there underneath the surface that would have been understood um, in a greater measure by first-century Jewish readers um, and certainly is lost on us without a little bit of diving underneath the surface. And so I want to show you just really quickly a map of where Caesarea Philippi actually is. And that is very pixelated, amazing. Amazing. Thanks, Google. Anyway, um, so it's up there. I can sort of read it. You probably can. But this is where Matthew 16 is taking place. And the reason I'm showing you that is because the geography is, is significant. That place was a place known in the Old Testament as Bashan. That was in the region, a geographic region called Bashan. And what is significant about Bashan is that was literally, from an Old Testament perspective and even a first century Jewish perspective, Bashan was called the place of the serpent. Very specifically, Bashan was the headquarters of the false god Baal. Bashan was actually territory ruled by the Old Testament god Baal. Some of you may remember him from the stories of uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel and uh, all these things through the Old Testament. But Bashan was the territory ruled by Baal. It was the place of the serpent bringing us back to Genesis 3. And the serpent... That was active and at work in leading humanity away from God. It was also referred to as the gates of hell. So Jesus, standing in this geographic place, has brought his disciples, not Figuratively, but literally, geographically, to the place that they knew was called the gates of hell. He brought his disciples right into the heart of enemy occupied territory. He brings them there and invites his disciples to comment and reference back to him on who he is. That's important. But what I want to suggest to you, something that we miss, is this isn't just about Peter and Jesus and the question of whether Peter was going to be the leader of the church or whoever it was. I believe that there's a more significant meaning here that Jesus is actually saying, on this rock, on this ground, at the gates of hell, literally at the gates of hell, on this rock, in this place, in the deepest, darkest, most demonic place on earth, I will establish my kingdom and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Oftentimes we, we take a defensive posture in our faith and for much of my life I would read the, those verses and say, okay, I'm protected from the work and activity of the enemy of God. Gates are a protective mechanism for those who need them, which is the kingdom of darkness. What Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter what the enemy musters up. The power of my name and the blood that I'm about to shed is gonna blow through the gates of the enemy, that the church is called to walk and live in the offensive, not the defensive. Our posture, our posture as those who follow Jesus is not to walk around like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings and just hope that nothing hurts us. Our posture as demonstrated by Jesus is to walk into the darkest places on earth, to confront the demonic, to confront evil and sin and know that because of what Jesus did, the gates of hell won't prevail, that his kingdom will not fall, but it will stand and be victorious. And this is what Jesus is modeling and, and, and bringing them to this place to demonstrate literally this place. He's right by Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the place it had so much significance for the first century Jewish people and for the Old Testament. Mount Hermon was to believed to literally be the spiritual epicenter and gateway to the underworld. Literally, Jesus is walking to the doorway of the devil and he's saying, you haven't got a thing on me. I want to just point out to you That six days later in this place, Jesus is transfigured on Mount Hermon. At the very epicenter of the gates of hell and the place of the dead, Jesus reveals his true nature and his glory. One week later, he's crucified on a cross. Why? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was provoking the supernatural realm. He literally was standing in geographical territory that was enemy territory and saying, I am the son of God, come and get me. Come and get me. Because what I come to bring is life and life to the fullest. I am coming to rob you of your power of death. I'm coming to destroy your stranglehold on this earth. And on those who call me by my name, who follow me, I'm coming to bring life. And those who follow me will walk in victory and in strength. That's what Jesus is modeling in this place. We've been looking in Ephesians 2 at this three-stranded, cord that Paul is talking about this three-stranded influence of the enemy of culture so the devil and the demonic realm, culture and our sinful nature and Paul says all three of those are working against you to confront and destroy the purposes and plans of God over your life to bring you into bondage and into pain and hurt and all kinds of things. And as we kind of left things this morning, Paul identifies a bunch of areas that we can be uh, susceptible to the influence of sin and the influence of the devil and the influence of culture on us. I'm going to show you just a few, and, and I believe tonight God wants to kind of pinpoint a couple things really specifically, areas of vulnerability in your life and in my life that are actual entryways, ways for the devil to work. There are areas and entryways that we inv- sometimes even unknowingly invite him to have place in our life and to establish footholds and strongholds in our life. And I just believe that Jesus wants to demolish some of those tonight. Galatians chapter 5. We were in this this morning, but I just want to read to you a couple of things. 519, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how do we confront some specific things in our life? If Jesus really came to give us life and life to the fullest, and if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he transfers that authority to us, the invitation of Jesus for your life and my life is to walk in victory and strength, is to be able to stand in that place of confrontation, with the devil in the demonic realm and declare the truth of God over your life, to declare the truth of the word of God over your life and to believe and trust and know that the gates of hell will not prevail against you as you walk out intentionally the purposes of God in your life. A couple things. I'm going to show you just some stuff on the screen here. If you want to just throw that first one up. Antonio. These, uh, this is just, this is not exhaustive. This is just a summary look at some specific entryways, entry points in our lives that give the enemy a foothold. And we're gonna camp just on these. First one is anger. You know, the Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. It says a few things. Actually, let's read a couple of these. Ephesians 4.26 says this. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. The next one there, Psalm 37.8. I should have marked these in my own Bible, but that's okay. We're not going to read all of them. Psalm 37.8 says this stop being angry turn from your rage don't lose your temper it only leads to harm anger is a gateway and an entryway to bondage in your life and in my life and I believe that Jesus is inviting us tonight to actually flip the script on anger that you're not under the control and influence of anger you're not helpless to actually combat anger in your life and actually walk in victory over it. This is uh, an area that I've wrestled with deeply. I have a really short fuse a lot of times. And God has been deeply working on my life in this area of anger as I take an offensive approach to it, which we're going to talk about tonight. The next one I want to just cover is unforgiveness. Can I just say the thing that I really think God has been speaking to me about this is that this is one of the most crippling issues in the life of the church today. That our churches, our church, the church is filled with people who are struggling with unforgiveness. And it's crossfire inside the church, it's happening in your homes, it's happening in your work environments, it's happening all over the place. Jesus actually says to his disciples at one point that unforgiveness is sometimes the very thing that's attributed to your lack of freedom spiritually and the release of healing in your life. He actually connects those two things together and makes a point to his disciples of saying, "Look, if things are not uh, if you're not experiencing the life that you think you should be and you're not experiencing healing and the move of God like you you need to actually examine your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine you and test you for unforgiveness in your life." This is another doozy that I believe Jesus is inviting us to flip the script on for our lives and actually begin to walk on the offensive In Not always sitting back and taking our lumps and bearing the full consequence and weight of unforgiveness, but actually being able to identify it before it has time to take root in our lives. Colossians 3.13, I'm just going to read that one. It says this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must you must forgive others. The next one I wanna just talk about is judgment. This is another gateway area of our lives that often we find ourselves dealing with long after the fact. And it's when we sit in judgment, even if we don't speak it out of our mouths, but when we sit in judgment in our attitudes and in our thoughts and in our mind over other people. The Bible says, judgment is mine, says the Lord. Not yours and not mine. That our position isn't to judge, pass judgment on other people. I would even lump to a lesser degree criticism and and being overly critical of people. That God wants to bring us some freedom from that. And the last one is hurt and offense, Romans 12. This is another one that I believe, I just believe grieves the heart of God to see his bride crippled and wounded by hurt and offense that we don't know what to do with. We don't know how to process it. Romans twelve nineteen there says this dear friends never take revenge leave that to the righteous anger of god for the scriptures say i will take revenge i will pay them back says the lord instead if your enemies are hungry feed them they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When we give place and room to hurt and offense in our life, it breeds this nasty, nasty trap that ensnares us in bondage. And I believe that Jesus wants to actually bring freedom to some people tonight who are suffering with that oppression of hurt and offense. When you take on offense, that can be done through insecurity. Our own insecurity makes us vulnerable and weakness to offense. That can be done... Just simply by the enemy twisting and distorting, or our own minds twisting and distorting, what someone has spoken over us. What someone has hurt us with, with their words, what they've said about us, what they've said to us, what they've spoken to other people that's caused us hurt and offense. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's our misinterpretation of what's happening. I've experienced this actually more as a leader than ever before. That there is an offensive stance we need to take when it comes to hurt and offense. Where we don't give room, not even an inch, to those things in our life that want to actually ensnare us and cripple us. So how do we deal with this? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. As I mentioned this morning, this is, this is what spiritual warfare is. I don't know what your perception of this is, but this is like the on the ground spiritual warfare, fighting it out. This isn't the sensational, like this isn't um, Avengers Endgame that we're talking about. This is literally contending for our thoughts, for our mind and our will and our emotion. This is literally contending with the onslaught of these things in our life. And it's not rocket science, but we have to do it. And the invitation of Jesus is for us to actually stand up and step into that place of authority that he's given us and engage the enemy, push the enemy back off the territory that you've given him in your life. Push him off the ground that he's occupying. Resist his influence, resist his lies, resist his baiting of you. He baits you to get angry, and he baits you to be uh, unforgiving, and he baits you to pass judgment on people, and he baits you into hurt, and he baits you into offense. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you can stand right in that place, right in the, the center of the hurricane. And what I give you, what I possess through my name and through my blood, is stronger than that crap and that garbage. You don't have to be baited into living in defeat. You don't have to be baited into existing at a fraction of what God has called you to. You've been made for more than you're living for. You've been made with authority and purpose and power. You've been made to walk in victory and in strength but you've got to stand up and start fighting. You've got to recognize the tactics of the enemy. You've got to recognize unforgiveness, and you've got to recognize offense and hurt and anger and bitterness and judgment. You've got to see it coming so that you can do something about it before you're tripped up and ensnared. When Jesus taught us to pray, At the end of his prayer, he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's not a defensive reactionary prayer. That's God, as I walk today, open my eyes to see the effects and the assignments and the temptation of the enemy. Release my eyes to see and discern what he's trying to trap me in and bait me to buy into the thoughts and the, the mindsets and what I believe and what I hear and what I perceive and what I say. God, lead me not into temptation. Show me how to walk in righteousness today for your namesake. Put level ground under my feet today, God. Open my eyes and open my ears so I can walk in victory and not in defeat. I don't want to be ensnared by the tactics of the enemy and he comes every day and he's just dangling the bait. Your wife should never talk to you that way. She just had more respect for you. Maybe then things would be good and that coworker who said that thing about you and you carry these wounds and these hurts and these, these lies over your life. And Jesus is saying, I've come and I've defeated the enemy on his ground and in his territory. And I'm just inviting you to follow me to freedom. So how do I do this every day and how can we do it every day? Because it doesn't make sense if it's just all in the, in the sky. This warfare is is fought through prayer and not the happy, clappy prayer, but the prayer where we're first acknowledging who God is. And you'll hear me, I did it tonight. It's just the way that I pray. I start by declaring the Lordship and authority of Jesus Christ over my life. Every single day, through the whole day, But in the morning, every morning, I wake up, my knees hit the ground, and I say out of my mouth, Jesus, I declare your lordship and authority over my life. I surrender myself to you this morning. I bring myself under your leadership, under your name, under your strength, and under your power. Second thing we need to do when we're fighting is invite the Holy Spirit to search us. If there's anything in your life that has grieved him, any unforgiveness, any hurt, offense, bitterness, anger, rage, malice, whatever it is, the list goes on, sexual immorality, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever it is, invite him to search you. And even now, I just invite you Holy Spirit to search us here to point out anything in us according to your word that has grieved the heart of God. If there's anything in us, if there's anything present in this room that has grieved the heart of God, we ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal it and you would bring it to the surface. And once he brings those things to mind, once he reveals it in his gentleness, he always comes with gentleness. It's never to condemn or destroy or demean. It's to bring life. And once he brings those things to your mind, those thoughts or those attitudes or the things you've said or done, we need to repent of them. Say, Jesus, I repent for harboring unforgiveness toward this person or that person. I repent, Jesus, for for walking in self-pity and offense. And then after we repent, we need to turn from vertical to now horizontal. And after we repent, we say, in the name of Jesus, not our name, not your name, in the name of Jesus, it is written. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I renounce you spirit of pride from my life. I cut off your influence. I cancel any agreements I've made with you. I break your bonds over my life and I command you to leave me right now, to release me right now in Jesus' name. I wanna encourage you and challenge you. If you're like me, as you begin this process, There's a lot of offenses and hurts and unforgivenesses, if that's a word, that we are harboring that we don't even realize anymore. There's things that we've just pushed down so deep and it's the goodness and the grace of God to begin to to put his finger on some of those things and actually bring them to the surface so that we can walk in the freedom that God has called us to but it requires that you and I stand in that place that we activate ourselves and we speak directly to that thing that unforgiveness or hurt we name it out loud the devil can't read your mind that's why you need to speak out loud you don't have to yell it's kind of weird at Starbucks if you're doing that (laughs) but you need to speak out loud and use scripture, that's your sword thrust. We've read some scriptures tonight, that's your sword thrust. That's the power of the word of God at your disposal when you're dealing with fear and anxiety. 2 Peter 1, 7, the Lord hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. That's my sword thrust. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, spirit of fear and anxiety. In Jesus' name, and I command you to remove your influence from my life. I command your voice to stop, to shut up, And I command you to go to the presence of Jesus for his judgment and determination. This is what spiritual engagement and warfare looks like. This is what Jesus practiced every day of his life. And he's inviting you. He's just saying, look, I stood at the gates of hell and they didn't prevail over me. I'm holding the keys of death. The greatest trump card of the devil, I have it. So everything else behind that is done. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in peace and joy. You can walk free from unforgiveness and hurt and offense. Let's stand together. It's really important after you renounce these things, after you ask the Holy Spirit to remove them from your life, you invite the Holy Spirit to fill you with the opposite. Starting with the fruit of his spirit is a good place to start if you don't know where to start. If you're dealing with pride, I, you ask and I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me with humility today. Clothe me with humility today. Fill me with the opposite of what the enemy wants from me. Fill me with the opposite. Clothe me in my armor today. Prepare me to walk in victory today. And this, I believe, friends, is what God is calling you to every day. He's calling you to get in the fight. He's calling you to wage war for your relationships and your family and your friends. He's calling you out of the defensive and into the offensive. I just have this this dream and this vision and this picture, not of big churches filled with flashy services, but of thousands of people on their knees every day, praying on the offensive for their lives and their marriages and their families contending for the things of God, resisting the enemy, pushing him back off the ground that he's trying to take. I see this picture of thousands of people across Niagara in their closets and on their knees beside their bed and on their knees in their living rooms when no one's awake, when everything is dark, when nothing's going on, crying out to God for his power and his mercy and his goodness walking in authority on the earth and bringing the kingdom of God to bear in their lives and in their families and in our schools, in our streets and in our neighborhoods, in our churches. For Lord's sake, fill our churches with people who walk in authority and freedom, Jesus. He wants to breathe on your life again and call you up and out. And it doesn't take a seminary degree to figure it out. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.